We're back with the Circular Economy Show podcast, and this week we're focused on the built environment. As always, I'm joined by my co-host Lara. Lara, why are we focusing on the built environment? Well, Seb, the built environment has a lot of emissions that are very hard to abate or very hard to tackle in a way, as in the emissions that go uh, into producing the materials that we use, but also the emissions that come from dealing with these materials at the end of the life of the buildings. So um, a lot of the efforts have gone into focusing on energy, for example, and how to use renewable energies um, in buildings. But changing how we make and how we use buildings is as important. And the circular economy plays a very key role. So to dwell on that point for a second, Lara, what you're saying is that sometimes when we think about the greenhouse gas emissions attached to our buildings, we might think about turning our electricity on. And of course, that can be replaced by solar panels on your roof, perhaps. What's much harder to deal with is the concrete that's maybe gone into the foundations of your building, recovering or, or you know, the greenhouse gas emissions related to those very intensive industries, much bigger challenge. Exactly, Seb. And that's exactly where the circular economy kind of like plays a very key role in, in tackling those emissions. And some of the strategies maybe that the circular economy framework might offer are making better use of our existing buildings. Like what do we do with the buildings that already exist that we have already created? Designing new spaces or new buildings in ways that can eliminate waste and also reducing and recycling some of the materials that go into these buildings. I recently had a chance to go to somewhere called One Triton Square, which is uh, an organisation called Arabs. Outstanding example of building refurbishment. They've you know, tried to use as much of the existing infrastructure. They've saved enormous amounts of carbon emissions in refurbishing versus demolishing and rebuilding. One of the things that struck me is actually how, because the place was unfurnished when I got to visit it, eerily beautiful, the kind of stuff that goes into making our buildings on and how valuable it is and how important it is to find ways to make use of it. Um, you recently had a chance to catch up with someone who works in this space. Um, someone I might describe as quite a sassy individual. Who did you get to speak with? He is indeed a very interesting person, Seb. <laughs> His name is Eric Corey-Free. He's the Senior Vice President of Sustainability at Canon Design, and he's also the co-author of a book called Circular Economy for Dummies. And in the conversation I had with him, we covered very different things. We spoke about the power of imagining things differently and doing things differently. We also talked about nature as a source of inspiration for the built environment and how can buildings actually like regenerate nature uh, in a way. And we're going to hear a little bit more about his company, which has a very interesting name. It's called Prostruction, which is the opposite, apparently, of construction. But I'm going to let the audience get that from a conversation we have. So let's hear more from Eric. So Eric, thank you so much for joining us today uh, in the Circular Economy Show. It's a pleasure to be here talking to you. And I would like us to kick off the conversation by understanding a little bit more about yourself. So could you give us in like... 30 seconds or a minute, perhaps, uh, a short summary of why you do the work that you do. Gosh, uh, a minute is too long. Uh, 
I'm an architect. I design buildings. I think the only difference is, is that as an architect, I, I realized very early on the impact that our buildings have in terms of energy and water and waste. And so over my 30-year career, I've really been focused on how to change how we look at the process of design in order to be more responsible. Thank you. Well, that was very accurate <laughs> in terms of timings. Um, I think one one thing I, I've seen in one of your previous conversations is that you all you say that the way we build is wrong. Uh, what does this mean? Uh, stupid, stupid. I usually say it's stupid. <laughs> wrong. Even is better. <laughs> what does this mean? <laughs> well, it's it's stupid. I mean, it, think about it. We build in the in the dumbest way. We make every single building a one-off prototype. Every single building is a bespoke masterpiece. And it's built by hand, one stick at a time, layer upon layer, with tons of joints, with you know, no opportunities to really reclaim that, no understanding or context that that building is going to be remodeled at some point in its lifetime, and no real understanding of where the carbon emissions were that went into making it, the operational emissions that are going to be caused from running it, um, and, and really no connection to the health of the occupants inside of it. So it's, it's silly. And when I was a student, you know, studying architecture, and I would, you know, at, raise my hand and say, well, why do we do it that way if it's so damaging? The response was always, well, I don't know, we've always done it that way. And that's just, that's the worst answer you can get. You know, if we know it's stupid, and yet we've always done it that way, <laughs> well, then surely there's something better that we can do. And that's, the, that's what it really started to get my attention with the circular economy, because I really see it as a framework um, to use to really start to solve and address a lot of these problems that we're facing in the building industry. And, I mean, you just brought up um, the circular economy, which is uh, obviously one of the topics I, I want to cover in this conversation with you. Um, so when we talk about, you know, we need to transform the built environment industry, um, what are the sort of the, you know, the first things that come up to you, for you? There are so many issues and so many, I call them market failures just across the board. But let's start with the big one, energy and its relationship to carbon. Buildings are responsible for more than half of the carbon emissions in our environment, right? If you factor in the uh, construction assembly operation and maintenance of buildings, it's, it's more than half. So if we're going to solve this climate crisis, we have to change how we do all those things in our buildings, not just in the operations, but what we make them out of. And um, you know, it's really hard to build a building today without concrete and steel. And yet concrete, steel, aluminum, and glass, those four materials alone are responsible for just a majority of these, you know, in, embodied carbon emissions. And, um, and we really don't have viable solutions or alternatives to them yet. We're trying, but it's, it's pretty slow going. Um, I'm, I'm glad you, you brought this up because in our well, recent publication that we had uh, from EMF, we actually covered this as well. And, you know, we, we highlighted the importance of, of, you know, changing to renewable energies and the importance of, you know, being energy efficient. But we also highlighted that 55% of our global greenhouse gas emissions come from the way we make, from the way we build everything around us, including buildings, and, and of course as well the way we produce and farm uh, the land um, around us. So in a way, when, when we talk about the circular economy, we always bring up the three principles, so eliminating waste and pollution, circulating products and material, 
and materials and regenerating nature. Um, what role, you, you mentioned this briefly, but what role does the circular economy play um, in addressing the emissions from the built environment sector? Well, it depends on how you look at it. I really look at it in terms of taking this holistic life cycle approach to it. So for everything that we're putting into the building, um, what were the byproducts of, of extracting it? Um, how is it delivered and installed? How is it maintained? Um, and what are we going to do with it when we're done with it? So really just taking that holistic approach. One of the things that I do very often with clients is that I'll run them through this thing called the Resolve Framework, which I didn't create. It's you know it's um, kind of a standard thing, but it, it just helps me kind of organize the questions of, uh, okay, well, what you know, um, if if recycling is actually not our top priority, but actually our bottom priority, and our first priority is to design out waste, that starts to really transform and rethink how we look at a building. I'll give you a dumb example. Let's say you're remodeling your bathroom, and let's say you pick out an eight-inch tile. Sorry, I'm American. I don't do metric. But we do an eight-inch tile. Um, well, shouldn't that bathroom also be some module of eight inches so that way the tiles space out evenly and you can avoid having a cut? You know, it always drives me crazy when you're in a bathroom and you see that little extra sliver of tile because someone didn't plan well. Well, we can know that in advance. So we can design the bathroom on a module of eight inches and get nice, clean edges. That reduces waste. It also um, helps you with other things because everything in construction is basically on some module of eight inches, right? Bricks, concrete, block tiles, plywood, everything is based on that same module. And so if we design to the module, we can start to reduce waste in a very easy way and save cost at the same time. So there are many easy things that we can do, low-hanging fruit, that a lot of architects and builders haven't even addressed yet uh, to really get us there. And one one of the key things uh, in our previous conversation that, that that you brought that you brought up was nature. You started talking to me about nature as kind of like almost like the technology that the built environment should use. Um, so, what what do you mean by this? What can we learn from nature? Well, this is this is quite an uh, obsession of mine. Nature is the ultimate innovation factory, really right? 3.8 billion years of research and development in nature. And think about what nature does on a daily basis. Nature is able to produce energy, sequester carbon, manufacture oxygen, fix nitrogen into the soil, um, provide food, provide habitat for thousands of species. And it does all this without waste. It does all this without massive amounts of heat, right? It does it in a beautifully balanced equilibrium-based loop. So there's a lot that we can learn from nature, not even getting into DNA and biology and all that other stuff. Just looking at the normal systemic ecosystem services of nature is just already kind of remarkable. I, there, there are times when I just uh, you know, walk around in awe constantly <laughs> at what nature's doing for us for free that we couldn't even possibly start to figure out how to do on our own or even pay for. Um, so if we start to look at nature as a technology, that starts to change maybe our relationship with it. It's not something that we squander. It's not something that we destroy. It's not something we consume, but rather that we work in harmony with. And I'm not talking about it in like a hippie, dippy, kumbaya type of way. I mean, in a real understanding of nature is able to sequester carbon at scale. And we do not have a technology to do that. Nature is able to produce oxygen at scale. And we do not have an, a, a really reliable technology to do that. Nature is able to do this without creating waste. And we certainly don't have a technology to do that. So we have a lot to learn. 
So if you would imagine a building that has used nature as, as the technology, what, what would it look like and how would it be different from, you know, like the current buildings that we use? Well, it, it wouldn't look that different than a tree. I mean, it might look different, but it wouldn't function that differently than a tree, meaning it would have roots deep into the ground to use the mass of the earth to create heat. It would have solar collectors all over the roof to collect uh, energy from the sun and convert that into electricity. Um, it would have the ability to sequester carbon in its finishes as opposed to producing carbon as a byproduct. It would be healthful and potentially would be able to grow and adapt over time as needed. And ideally, it would, it would be able to provide a habitat for more than just humans, but for other species as well. That really is what we're after. And so that I kind of am describing a tree, not that we should all go live in a tree house, but, but rather think about nature as that technology that we can use as the model to, to do that. And we're just scratching the surface with being able to get there. And if, if we know what, uh, you know what we already need to know from nature or about nature to make this happen, why can't we see this happening, uh, let's say, yeah, at the scale that we need, but also like, yeah, what do we need? What are the sort of challenges or barriers keeping this from happening in reality? Well, that's the depressing part, right? Uh, it, it goes back to the same answer that I got 30 years ago in architecture school, which is, well, I don't know, because we've always done it this way, right? Uh, you have, a, a, what is it, $9 trillion construction industry or something insane that's very embedded and used to a certain way of, of building. And they know that it's flawed and they know it's not perfect, but it's what they know. And so getting them to change is difficult. In addition, we have a code system throughout the world that's really based on three main materials, stone, um, masonry, and, and steel, or I'm sorry, wood, masonry, and steel. And the code's written for that, and that makes total sense. But if you wanted to use something alternative to those big three, you'd have a fight on your hands. You'd have a bit of a challenge, and you'd have to demonstrate and prove that it meets these requirements. We have this now with a product called mass timber. It's really engineered wood, so it's a renewable resource. It's a carbon sink. It's engineered to be as strong as steel. But we've been slowly fighting with the code to get it to accept that it really has a, a great fire resistance rating because it's all engineered. It doesn't really burn. It's got a great strength and can be used on taller and taller buildings. And the code has been slowly evolving uh, here in this country to, to accept that. Um, so that's some of the barriers, right? Just habit and, and code. But really, I, I think it's human nature to be wired to be fearful of the new. And so I, I almost feel like a large part of my job, my daily job, is getting people used to new radical ideas. As I, I really see all of our jobs as being filters, right? To take these complex ideas and filter them down in a way that people can, can understand them and relate to them and, and hopefully get excited about them. And it also shows, I guess, the, the power of imagining a different future. Like you have to bring in some of these, well, radical ideas, if, if, if you want to call it this way, but like... You need to imagine how things could be different and, you know, and bringing these examples and stories to people, you know, in the beginning, um, I don't know, it, it might creep people out even a little bit to imagine themselves writing these kind of like natural buildings. But, uh, you know, what's the alternative? We can not really keep doing what the things the way we do them now. And also, you know, how, how healthier, how, how better is it to, to be, you know, being in a building that has used um, some materials that might even have bad um, impact, a bad impact on you as well. Um, 
What do you think about this? Did you have you have you felt this from people? Have they, have they had that kind of reaction? Well, you know, it's funny you say that because I feel like uh, for the most part, sustainability has come has really come at it from this place of scarcity. Almost, we've we've almost been apologetic. I used to make jokes about this early in my in my talks where I where I'd, I'd say, "Gosh, is it okay?" Do you, do you mind ter terribly if we don't put cancer-causing chemicals in the building? Gosh, is that I'm sorry to bother you, but is that okay? And we, we you know, we as environmentalists kept taking this very apologetic, scarcity-based approach to this, and I, I'm kind of over that uh, <laughs> now. My my mindset is much more: I've got a better building here. I've got ideas for a better building. Not only is my building green, not only will it save you energy in its operation, but my building will also potentially improve test scores in students. My, my building will potentially improve patient recovery outcomes in healthcare. My building will, will potentially um, improve uh, staff retention in an office and staff productivity. I have, across the board, am offering you a better building. And if it's a matter of cost, then we'll look at the upfront cost, but we'll balance the upfront cost with the life cycle cost. So that way you actually know what you're paying for. You know, we've, we've driven this kind of de developer scarcity mindset into everything that we do. And so everybody's so fixated on the upfront cost of the building. And if it costs a dollar more, they're like, no, I'm against it. But the truth of the matter is it, that dollar more is pretty well invested because what we've seen is that for the most part, sustainability features in a building pay for themselves at least 10 times over the life of the building. And so if you're owning the building for any period of time, you're going to want to take uh, advantage of those, of those benefits, especially those outcomes that I talked about in terms of productivity and health and performance and so on. So what I'm hearing is, is that there is also this economic opportunity as well as you know, the, the, the environmental opportunity that we've discussed in the beginning and and I mean throughout this episode and throughout these conversations we can really see I mean the impact that the that the built environment has. Um, so you mentioned your clients um, and I want to bring us back to talk a little bit more about your work because you know I learned that you 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 f founded this organization called Prostruction, which is a great name. But <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> what do you do there? <laughs> Prostruction is is uh, an idea that Uh, I came up with working with the XPRIZE Foundation uh, several years ago. And the idea was, was basically, it's the opposite of construction. That's the idea. It's prostruction. It's, it's beneficial and really breaks that paradigm, the current paradigm we have of cut, slash, and burn into grow, regenerate, and breathe. And really, the idea with prostruction is tapping into the biology of nature. It is now possible, believe it or not, to manipulate DNA I'm talking about you know, the DNA cellular level. It's been now possible to manipulate DNA and get materials to grow with certain benefits. So right now at this current state of time, we're able to grow, um, let's say, mycelium, which is mushroom fungus. We're able to grow that into a brick. It's pretty dumb. It's pretty simple. We're early days, but, but it's, it's a grown brick. And that brick didn't need you know, heat and waste and carbon emissions to do it, it grew naturally the same way that everything around us did, the same way you did. And so my vision for prostruction is that we would be able to grow whole building materials and maybe even whole buildings. And just like, you know, you came out when you were born small, but you came out complete, right? There was skeleton and skin and muscle, right? You, you weren't born a skeleton and then that your parents added it later. You came out kind of whole and then you grew collectively and then you reached a point of, of kind of um, stasis, right? 
you stop growing probably around 25. We can kind of do the same thing with buildings. And imagine if our newest crop was not, you know, just food, but, but growing buildings and doing it using natural systems with free abundant sunlight and natural rainfall and all these other things, right? That would be kind of amazing. So that's what ProStruction is really after, changing that paradigm. And if we were to do that, we could also do some other cool things in nature. For example, um, if I took a picture hook out of the wall, it could heal. If, um, if I wanted to change the color of the wall based on my mood or my season, I could. If I wanted the wall to glow through bioluminescence, I could. Nature already has solved all those problems, and we've already identified the DNA markers for those things. So using this manipulation of DNA called synthetic biology, we could start to play with some of these things and, and develop buildings that absorb CO2 and produce oxygen and filter toxins and do all sorts of wild things. And it sounds like science fiction, but the crazy part is it's actually possible. I mean, I, I'm sure that the audience agrees with me that we definitely want to see how this looks like and what it looks like in the, in, in the future, in the near future. Um, I have another question for you, Eric, and that is, you've written many books, and this year you actually published, the, you released the book called Circular Economy for Dummies. Um, no, I have one. <laughs> yeah, please show us. I'll do, I'll do the plug there. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so um, what led you to create this and to, to, to basically write this book? And could you give us a quick snapshot of the sort of things that it covers? Oh yeah. So there were a couple there were a couple of drivers to this. First of all, this is my 12th book and you know, like any author who writes a lot, you're always looking, you're always thinking about what is the next thing you want to tackle. And I really see books as a way to learn, right? Not that I'm some expert, but I know that in writing the book, I'll get to become a bit of an expert. That's kind of how I look at it. So the question is not more what do I know that I should write about, but more what do I want to learn about and maybe share with other people? So that's kind of how I think of it. And we do a lot of healthcare work and we do a lot of university work. And we were having conversations with both those groups about waste. And they kept telling me about their recycling rates and their boring recycling this and recycling just wasn't cutting it. And so I started introducing them to the circular economy and talking about it in a very holistic way and, and rethinking maybe the whole concept of waste and designing out waste. And And, um, and I was watching in admiration from afar what Ellen MacArthur Foundation had been doing in the UK and what the Dutch had been doing and kept kind of whining, <laughs> um, complaining really that, uh, that I, I wish here in North America we had as, as, as established and embedded a system on circular economy. And then um, one of my colleagues said, well, why don't, why don't you, should, you shut up and write a book about it and we'll do it together. So um, my co-author Kyle and I wrote wrote this book. We, we pitched it to our publisher and they said yes. And, and, and then that was it. And what was amazing about the book, as I said, it's, it's what you learn along the way. So along the way, we talked to people from Intel and Ikea and Adidas and um, Amazon and um, just amazing big, big companies you've heard of. And then amazing little companies you might not have heard of yet, but you should. And we featured 350 different companies in the book. We just talked to a ton of people and listened and, and then filtered that down into Um, I think a pretty clear narrative. And so the book in my mind is really hopefully the secret agenda is that it, it makes circular economy mainstream in the U S that's really what I selfishly want out of it. But the, the way the book is written, it's, it's written for people that have some understanding or no understanding, but really want to get more involved. But it's also written for the people that, okay, they know what it is. They're already fans. 
and now they want to put it into practice. So there are five main parts to the book. The first one is kind of the background and overview, right? How to rethink waste, reject waste, and redesign the whole world. And then, and then really highlighting some of the impacts, especially around plastic, that we start to see and why that's such an urgent problem. Part two really starts to look at some of the business models around circular economy, um, you know, moving a product into a service, um, and all and all the and all the models that go with it. Part three really looks at okay, now that you're into this, let's get into your material life cycle, and really starts to break down the life cycle and how you identify opportunities within that to make a better product. Part four really starts to look at different business lines. So we have one on fashion, one on food, one on design. Um, there's another one I'm forgetting, <laughs> but uh, but they're all kind of there. And then part five is how do we bring this idea to everybody? So it starts to look at pathways for students, pathways for existing businesses, how to get a career in this, and what the global vision, you know, what the finish line looks like. So the book's organized in a very fun way. And if you only, you know, you don't need to read it from page one to page 400. If you wanted to start in the middle and just jump into the design chapter, it has value. So it's written in that, in that very clear way. And, um, you know, I, I hope people like it. And if you find a typo in it, I, please don't tell me. I, I, I don't want to know. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, thank you, Eric, um, for that overview of, of the book. Um, I would like to ask you a final question. Um, we, we've you know, discussed some of the changes we would like to see in the built environment industry. And we know that we need to make a lot of changes and transformations, especially in the, in the upcoming years. So I want to ask you if, you know, what is on your wish list? If you could, you know, let's say... Um, change one thing about the built environment in the next five years, what would that be? Golly. Uh, there are a lot of things that have been changing for the better, right? We've made a lot of progress, I think, in the last 30 years, and certainly a lot of progress just in the last five. Vast improvements in material health and understanding that, vast improvements in understanding operational energy and net zero energy, vast improvements in embodied carbon. It just never moves fast enough. So I, I we're we're on the right track, just never fast enough. So maybe my wish is a fast forward button. Um, you know, Winston Churchill had a great quote and I think about it a lot. And in it, he says, um, he was talking about Americans and he said, I always count on Americans to do the right thing, but only after they've exhausted every other possible option. <laughs> and I, I, I feel like that's what we've been doing with buildings. Like we know buildings are a problem. We've known for decades, they're a problem. We know climate change is a huge problem. And I just don't want us to wait until we've exhausted every other possible option before we do something about it. That's, that's kind of really, so, you know, a fast forward button for me would be great. But, but I think um, maybe if I, you know, had a magic wand, like you said, and I was able to do something, it would be um, maybe doing away with fossil fuel subsidies, right? We, we pay the oil and gas companies a lot of money to stay in business, even though they're already making millions. I would like to reverse that and do it for renewables. And I think that That would solve a lot of, you know, flows in the wrong direction. So if you want to get nitpicky about it, that's that, that would be my magic magic wand wish. And what makes you hopeful? You know, it's funny. It's funny. As much as I complain, um, and and as much as I'm, I feel like I'm on a stage every week complaining to people. It's like therapy. Uh, I find I'm I'm more hopeful now than ever uh, in my old age, which is weird. I've grown out of cynicism into hope. And what makes me hopeful is um, I, I have no choice but to be hopeful. Who, who doesn't want to be hopeful? I, I think that's kind of where my mindset is. It's very easy to get depressed. It's very easy to feel overwhelmed. 
the climate crisis is what we is what we call an out of context problem. It is, it is so large; it's hard for our little feeble human brains to even comprehend it all. The waste problem is so big; it's it's hard to even visualize it all. Um, so I, I choose hope. I choose to be hopeful because that's it's a much better place to be. Besides, who's going to want to hear from an you know um, an old grumpy architect complaining all the time? I, I choose hope because it's infectious, right? It gets people excited, and, and and if I can share my passion and enthusiasm, and it becomes contagious to other people around me, and they get passionate and enthusiastic, then then you know ultimately isn't that where we all want to be? So there's a there's a sustainability there. So I, I don't know if I answered your question, but but what gives me hope is you. I mean, uh, you know, everybody listening, the fact that you're even listening at all, is yeah, that all gives me hope. So I'm, I'm ever hopeful. Thank you, Eric. I think that is um, a great ending for this conversation. Thank you so much for being part of the Circular Economy Show. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Wow, I've got to get myself a copy of that Circular Economy for Dummies book. Lara, I know as a fellow interviewer, that sometimes when you're engaged in that one-to-one conversation, you can become absorbed by it. Having had the chance to listen back, what are your key takeaways or what things stick out for you? I think one of the key things that he speaks a lot about, it's about um, the fact that nature can be a source of inspiration. I think it's something that perhaps even in the corporate world, you can forget a little bit about. And in the circular economy, a lot of the ideas that we use in the framework and in the concept, they come from this notion that in, that in nature, there is no waste. Uh, everything is a source for something else, it's input for something else. And I think the way that he talks about that, it's, it's, it's very beautiful. And he, he even has that notion of using it as a technology almost, that we can utilize to create our buildings and to create the materials that in the future our buildings will have. So I thought that was a very interesting thing that got me thinking about how we need to redesign the way we, we make and use our buildings. Something that sticks out to me about Eric is that he is simultaneously able to talk quite nicely about quite a you know, quite a challenging concept in some ways, being inspired by nature. And and some of the examples that he has in that space are, you know, could be described as quite complex, certainly require some understanding of... Of science. Of science. (laughs) Um, But he's simultaneously extremely practical. He's a doer. You know, he has that energy, like, let's get this done, let's do what's good today. And his ability to kind of oscillate between those two things and connect those two things strikes me that he makes him a very powerful ambassador for the ideas that he's putting forward in the built environment space. I couldn't agree more, Seb. That's all for this episode of the Circle Economy Show podcast. Be sure to like, share and subscribe um, to this podcast wherever you're listening to it. You'll be doing me a personal favour if you do, especially if you're getting any value out of the content that we're sharing with you. This podcast is brought to you by the Ellen McCarr Foundation, where we promote the idea of a circular economy, engage the key people to make it happen, and try and make it happen at scale. See you next week, Lara. See you next week, Seb. <laughs>